Paul and I would like to acknowledge that we record this podcast on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people. We would like to pay our respect to the elders both past and present of the Kulin Nation and to other Indigenous Australians who may listen. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Another fortnight, another DVD up for debate. Oh, which actually <laughs> brings yeah. us around to a bit of a, a faux pas that we we did last week, or last fortnight, I should say, where we did not actually decide whether or not I was going to throw out mm. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, everyone's been asking about it. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Well, actually, no. Yes, it's been covered in the news. The craziest Hot thing topic. is, I, I talk to people that are actual fans of this show, and today, <laughs> and I, I asked them all. I said, "Did you did you notice? Did you know know what was missing?" And they're like, "Uh, um, you didn't talk about, you know." And I was like, "No, we we didn't decide on the DVD." And everyone was like, "Oh yeah." Ah, <laughs> oh, so they don't even care. Oh, they don't even care. It's because our analysis has become so good and so much part of the show. <laughs> so they, insightful. They forget the, the purpose of it all. Yeah. Well, I just think we... And the reason... Yeah, I think the reason we forgot is that we were both so enamoured with the film mm. that we just, like... It didn't even cross our minds that it was an option to throw it away. Yeah. Which is obviously the answer. I'm definitely not throwing away my special edition 25th anniversary DVD no. of Rocky Horror Picture Show. No. It's not happening. Especially when it's got so many, like, good special features. It does have a lot of good special features. Yeah. Although, I don't know if I'll watch the whole thing with the audience participation as well, because it's quite jarring. <laughs> it's not It's not a, you know, but not a great experience. It's comforting to know you've got it. Yeah, that's right. If I never, if the cinemas never open again, maybe we can recreate that experience. Mm. Ha- have you been since they've reopened? Have they reopened now? Yeah. Oh, no, I haven't. But we are booked in to go into the drive-in next week. Yeah. So that's very exciting as part of the Queer Film Festival, which was obviously shut down in the middle of COVID. And now they're relaunching a few films. And one of them is at the drive-in, which awesome. is actually the film I think I've talked about briefly on the show because Clea Duval, one of my all-time crushes, has directed this film and it's got Kristen Stewart in it, one of my other all-time crushes. So it's, you know, just a highlight. I'm very excited. It's probably going to be terrible, but I won't care. (laughs) I don't think so. Well, this movie that we're about to talk about today has not been in the cinema for a while. No, for such a long time. But if it did go back to the cinema, I I reckon a lot of people would go and watch it if it was back there. Yeah. This one's one of those ones that sort of got that intersection between, I think... I mean, we'll debate it later, but I don't think you can deny that this is a good film. But it's also Mm. like a cinema bros film. Mm, So mm -hmm. it would definitely get a high turnout. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the 1995 film, Seven. Mm. Or Seven. Seven. Yeah. (laughs) Or Seven. Yeah. Brad Pitt. David Fincher. Yep. Um, Yep. Sort of before he was David Fincher. Well, yes. Yes. To us now. But I think he still had some... Gravitas. Like, they really wanted him, right? They really wanted him to direct this film. Yeah. I mean, they did offer it to a few other people beforehand, apparently, but they also quite wanted... Like, they wanted him to direct this film, but this definitely has helped shape the way we think of a David Fincher film. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, like, his first... Because what did he have before this? He had Alien 3, which he famously... Alien 3. ...distanced himself from. Yes. And did he do another one between them? No, I think Alien 3 and then um, after Alien 3, he was so scarred, he was kind of saying, I'll never do another film again. Yeah. And then he got sent this script and they were really trying to convince him to do it. And then there is, there's an interesting story about the version of the script that he got sent. I'm not sure if they talked about that on the special features. No. At all? No, not on the ones. There is comprehensive special features here. I made it through quite a few but there is there's a lot there's a lot okay yeah. well i know that's usually at the end of the podcast but i'll just let you know now I'll just mm. dive into it so he was sent so the original script and we should say the script um or the screenplay was written by a guy andrew called something walker andrew kevin walker there you go um and it, it was his first screenplay um 
you know, apparently some of the feedback he got was like he'd sent it to another screenwriter who called him and said, you need help, <laughs> like psychological help, not like writing help. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly dark. If you know this movie, oh, yeah. you know it's pretty dark. Um, and if you haven't seen it, don't go and watch it without, you know, looking it up a little bit, I think, because the themes are incredibly dark. In terms of what it physically shows you, it does it does show you a fair bit of, of you know, gore, I suppose, but not as much as it potentially could, but a lot is implied and there's a lot of the themes that are just, just so, so dark. So the original, which oh, I don't even know if I should, maybe I, oh, no, nah, it's fine. We all know the ending, right? Yeah. What's in the like, box? Yeah, that's it. And this movie, I think, sort of got the prominence because of the ending. Like, you know, I think the ending yes. is one of the best bits of the movie. But yeah, hopefully well, everyone yes. knows it. Or if you don't, I don't know, listen Stop to the... Stop the podcast, go watch it yeah. and <laughs> replay. Yeah. Yeah, so the ending... You know, Brad Pitt's wife's head is in the box and it's terrible and it's dark and he ends up having to make this decision whether or not to kill the serial killer because he's got the gun and he's got the power and the serial killer wants him to shoot him. Um, So in the original script, it's this, you know, the way it ends, the way that we know it ending, he shoots John Doe, which is the, the serial killer. Um, But at the start, when they first started like optioning it or, not really optioning what what they first started like shopping around for a director they were really unhappy with the um this particular ending and they had actually rewritten it and they'd rewritten it to have more of a kind of uh happy ending yeah like a more of a like good guys yeah. win blah, now, blah 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 i think i did see this in the special features because i did watch an alternate ending so that's Ah, okay. Yeah, this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Because then they sent, they accidentally sent, when they were trying to get David Fincher on board, they accidentally sent him the original script. They didn't send him the revised script and he was more, he was really interested in the original script and he was like, wow, this is whatever. It captured his attention. And when they were like, oh, no, we fucked up when (laughs) this is the one we want to do (laughs) with this happy ending when, you know, you know, everything's fine. And he was like, no, I'm not doing it unless we get this hardcore ending in. Um, And then he was joined by others like Brad Pitt also said, I'm not doing the film unless the original ending with the head in the box stands. Okay. So wait. So yeah. The alternate ending I watched Mm. was it still had the head in the box. Yeah. So the alternate ending that you watched, I think might've been the, wait, which, which, okay. So this is also (laughs) where I was a bit confused because when Um, I was watching it with Laura and she was asking me what happens in the end. And I said, well, what happens in the end is he, so he opens, like he realized he's, he's going, what's in the box? What's in the, what's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and then he realizes that it's his wife's head and then he shoots John Doe and then the screen goes blank. That was my re- memory of the ending. But in that the was, version that I watched that... That was one of the alternate endings I saw. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. And in the version that I watched that I got from Google Play, the ending was quite different. Well, it wasn't quite different, but that happened, like the shot happened. But then you got this whole section afterwards where you kind of see them wrapping up and you see, you hear Morgan Freeman kind of doing a bit of a voiceover. Okay. So the one that was on the so DVD, what, the, the actual yeah. ending on the DVD was, yeah, you see Brad Pitt get into a police car and a detective talking to Morgan Freeman. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman said, I'll be around. So sort of saying that he's not going to retire. Okay. Yep. That was And what, a voiceover thing, like a quote. Yeah. Yeah. Of him yeah, talking at the end. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the same one that I saw. Yeah. And then the second alternate ending that was on the DVD had Morgan Freeman shoot John Doe. Oh, yes. That was another option that they yeah. had originally planned. Not yes. shot, so yep. storyboarded, but... Yes, that's yeah. right. That actually... was sorry, sorry, that was the original script, and then they changed yeah. it to Will's doing it, to Brad Pitt's character doing it, and then they didn't even want to have it. They wanted to have a happy-go-lucky ending. So the ending that I saw on the DVD, that was the happy-go-lucky ending. No, 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 no. I didn't. I don't think they shot. They didn't shoot yeah. the happy ending. The happy ending, I think, was not a happy ending, but it was like the good guys win, bad guy gets locked up, etc., yeah. etc. So they didn't shoot it. But I think the one that I originally watched was. Did was there one version where it just cut to black after? That was, one of, that was one of the alternate endings on the DVD. Yeah, yeah. so I think I must have watched... Originally, I must have watched the director's cut because when I watched this one 
and saw because I think that's what David Fincher wanted he wanted it just to cut to black afterwards so it was more like that's it and then you've got this like shock factor of like mm. fuck what just happened well because um, that's i really love that moment at the end when you've got the the voiceover from the guy in the helicopter being like should should someone call someone he, he shot him yeah someone call should, someone yeah, yeah you know I, I love that yeah. and yeah i think that's really the like, chaos yeah yeah so endings are important so we've kind of jumped around a bit from our normal format but we have who we cares? have um let's get back into it so normally at this point, I'd talk about how Seven came into my life and the DVD. Mm-hmm. And I will do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so That was a great... Uh, no, don't worry. I'm thinking about <laughs> essay writing and telling the reader what you're going to say before you say it. Yeah. yeah, my English exam, A+. A+. Brilliant. So this was one of the films... Growing up, I, I was really not into horror films. Um, mm-hmm. Very... Very scared of horror films. Very scared of anything with the R rating. Mm. Originally scared of anything with with the M rating. I remember the first time I went to go see an M rated film at the cinemas. And I think it was like SWAT or something. Some action movie. And I remember turning to my friend I went to see it with. And I'm like, I'm just going to close my eyes and my ears during all the trailers. Because there'll be other M rated films advertised. Oh, so innocent. I didn't want to see no horror. Later on that I realized. I would have been like, you know maybe 12 or not not a baby but i realized later on that i'd actually watched a lot of m-rated films as as a kid yeah. that hadn't it didn't have the i hadn't been explicitly told that it was a um, yes you didn't have the like yeah. fear factor because i very much associated ma and r with that would mean a horror film which i think came from yeah, right, can you okay. remember the old ratings advertisement at the start of vhs's that had the family all wearing like different ratings shirts watching oh vaguely yeah and then um so like, yes i do remember it that went from g and then the little kid went away pg and the slightly older kid m and then the older kid and then when it got to the ma one it was a uh, scene from a horror film and i was like yeah, all right, right well that's that <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm out of here so i can't believe you didn't like horror yeah and um when we get to doing the mummy on dvd i've got some great stories about that <laughs> oh my god of all the films i know to consider horror <laughs> <laughs> but this one was one of the ones that had sort of been talked about i guess in the schoolyard as like you know a, a horror film um this yeah. i guess silence of the lambs the exorcist yeah. were all ones that yeah. were sort of burnt into my mind of people telling me about them that you know i yeah. thought this was going to be the scariest thing ever so I eventually braved up in maybe my second year of college. Yeah. And got this 15th anniversary edition of Seven. Um, Ooh, creepy. Ugh. On DVD and um, watched it. And I, I remember, like, being disappointed. Just... Oh, no, really? Yeah, just because it was... It's not It's not a jumpy-out scary film. It is very no, disturbing. It's... Uh, yes. But, yeah, I remember... And look, I watched it on a pretty dodgy TV in a common room at college. Yeah. But I just remember thinking, Ugh. and I remember thinking I got a bit bored near the end. And I also was unimpressed right. with Brad Pitt. Um, the character or the acting? I didn't think his acting was great, I remember. Mm, okay. And then I hadn't watched it until I watched it this time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and what did you think? Well, I guess we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. I'll leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger. Do you want to run us through Mm. the story? Oh, God, yes. I forgot I had to do that. So we are kind of orientated and our our opening sequence is introducing us to the Morgan Freeman character of Detective Somerset. Um, And you kind of understand that he's... He's on the scene. He's, you know, helping out. He's not very well liked by his fellow officers, it seems. There's one guy says to him, um, you know, we'll all be so glad when you finally leave or something like that, like something very rude and disrespectful. So you get the idea that he's on his retirement. He's on his way out. Anyway, into his life comes crashing. Young hothead, Brad Pitt, freshly transferred. He requested the transfer from a quiet country town somewhere unspecified to this bustling, violent city, which is essentially New York, though no one ever says we're in New York. And they don't hit it off well. They clash. Um, Somerset's like, 
I just want to do my last seven days and get out of here. And Detective Mills is like, let's do this, let's do that. Tell me everything, blah, blah, blah. I'm so keen to solve some crimes. And then, so they don't get along that well, but they come across their first murder, which is this, well, they didn't realize it's a murder at the start, but they are called to a scene where this extremely obese man has been found with his face down in his food and they find out that he's been tied his legs and his arms have been tied and he's being force fed so they figure out that it's a murder so straight away somerset's like to the the head i don't know to their boss he's like take me off this case i don't want to be on this case anymore i know this is going to go on for ages this is the work this is a work of someone who's just getting started this is the work of a serial killer this is the work of someone really psychopathic and I can't get involved. It's time for me to go. I want to get out of this city. And he's like, I'm sorry, but I have no one else to, to put on this. You have to do it. But then eventually I think they do get assigned to separate cases. Yeah. And because he requests Somerset's like, I can't work with this young buck Mills, take him away, whatever. So I think Mills is actually given another case and Somerset's stuck with his other case. Yeah. Then turns out, of all things, the next case that Mills is assigned to turns out to be really linked to the one that Somerset is assigned to. So again, they join forces. And the second murder is a oh, I didn't I forgot to say that in this first murder with this guy who had eaten and his stomach essentially exploded. Um, and that's how he died or had been force fed, I'm sorry. They had found the word greed written across the wall in Greece as well. Uh, not not quite. Yeah, behind the Behind the fridge. Yeah, right? but it was gluttony. Gluttony, sorry, not greed. <laughs> and and they don't oh, find that until after... So they see greed written in blood at this second murder. Yeah, sorry, after yes. That, that Greed's Morgan, related to money, yeah. right. Morgan Freeman yes, goes right. back to the fridge and looks behind it and that's when he sees gluttony. And looks and behind like, it, yeah. Oh, shit, So with the connected. second one, that's right. The second murder is like a wealthy politician and the greed is more related to the, the money greed rather than the gluttony. <laughs> So, anyway, they're all related. They realize that it's all about the seven deadly sins. They start reading up on the seven deadly sins. Brad Pitt's wife plays a pivotal role in reuniting them as one and, you know, making them laugh over their differences and finally work together as a team. So they decided to start tracking down this killer. Um, They track him down. You know, they're trying all these tricks, blah, 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 blah. Um, they think they've got the guy. Then it turns out that's not the guy. That's actually another victim. He's just like cut off this guy's hand and used it to like paint when, with use the fingerprints to put them on a different trail. So it's, it's wild goose, ca- wild goose chase. Anyway, eventually they have this great idea. How do you find out about seven deadly sins? You read about it. So they go to the library and they're like, what books actually Somerset already knew this. These are all the books that mention seven deadly sins. Cause he's like really well read. Um, anyway, so go to the public library and then they, he also amazingly has a friend in the FBI who happens to owe him a favor. And it turns out, did you know, the FBI also tracks what books you take out from the library and they've got red flags on books that mention all these things. So they are able to track down a list of people that have hired out or loaned out these books that mention the seven deadly sins. Um, so that's great. They're like, fine, we'll get started. Amazingly, the first one they go to, they're like, we'll just talk to him. We'll just see what's going on. We're not even meant to be here. We can't prosecute. They knock on the door. No one answers. No one answers. Suddenly, this guy appears at the end of the hallway. He looks at them. They look at him. Tension rises. Suddenly, he pulls out a gun, starts shooting at them. They're like, holy shit, it's the guy. And it turns out it is the guy. They don't catch him. He runs away. Shots fired, etc. Then we see another example of... Detective Mills, Brad Pitt's character's hot-headedness when he just like bashes down the door, even though they don't have a warrant. They somehow fix that by paying off someone to pretend that they'd called in a tip, etc. Anyway, they get into this guy's house. They call him John Doe because they don't know who he is. Oh, no, Total insanity. Like, that's also the name on his library card. Oh, is it? Yeah. I missed that. Okay. Yeah. I just thought it was the name that people give yeah, that, dead bodies that that's, they don't know. They're like, what a joke, because they're like... Yeah. Literally, his name is Jonathan Doe. But it's not. No, no. No. Anyway, his house is full of, like, terrible things, like books with all of his planning in it, these crazy rants, religious rants, all of this stuff. So they're like, holy shit, this guy's totally insane. Then I can't really remember what else happens in between. There's another victim. There's Prime, um, yeah, Prime. 
pride the and lust as well. Despite her face. And then the, yeah, the lust one's really distressing. The lust That's... one is full on. Yep. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Yep. And then they're just like, you know, going about their daily business, trying to f- solve this crime, walking up in their office and someone gets out of a taxi, walks in, has blood all over himself and looks up at them and yells, detective, detective. And who is it? It's John Doe, ready to give himself up. So there we are. And he's like, I really admire you, Detective Mills, blah, 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 blah. And this is the big twist for the audiences at the time. John Doe is played by none other than Kevin Spacey, who was quite famous at the time. Still is now. Less respected. Maybe infamous now. Still famous. <laughs> infamous, yes. Yeah. Good point. In very creepy, like, just so creepy. He's super creepy. I mean, super creepy. Just an amazing portrayal of a, of a psychopath. Mm. Um, and maybe it's because maybe it's like, he's part psychopath. It's almost like know. he's a giant creep, you know? Yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. Mm. <laughs> so, and then he's like, guys, I'll take you to the other victim. There's another victim. Like, I'll take you there. It's fine. And they're like, fine, we'll take you there, whatever. So they get into, oh, we didn't even mention sloth, actually. There's another victim, sloth. We might talk about the victims in a bit more detail if we want to talk about how creepy they were. Um, well, Sloth's the one that they... Just, that's the wild goose chase. That's the... Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes. The guy with the fingerprints. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they get in a car. He's refusing to go with anyone except for Mills and Somerset. So we've got Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey all in a car driving away from the city. They get out to the countryside somewhere. They're like driving down these this like highway with nothing around them except for corn crops or something. Electricity um, towers. And then and then all those electricity towers as well. Beautiful scenery, great cinematography, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, where is it? Where is it? Oh, it's just up here. Pull over. They get out of the car. They walk a couple of metres away from the car, maybe 50 metres away from the car. And then suddenly, oh, my God, they spot a truck coming down towards them. There's like, it's totally desolate there's no one else around and just this truck like coming down the path coming down the highway and someone says like what the fuck is this and then the, the guys in the helicopter are like we've got a truck coming down it's all like heightened everyone's a bit scared what's this truck doing um and then and because also to make it extra creepy john doe has been going what time is it oh yeah it's just about time now it's gonna happen now it's gonna happen now so you know he's planned something so this truck gets there Somerset's like get the fuck out of the car um, and this guy gets out of the car and he's like, I'm just a delivery. I'm a courier. I'm just a delivery guy. I've got a delivery for Detective Mills. So he takes out this box and he gives it to Somerset. And then he's like, runs. And then Somerset sends him off. He's like, run away. And the guy runs away and he gets someone to come pick him up over the hill. Great. And then Somerset's like, what the fuck do I do? Should I look in the box? And then he's just like, oh, oh, oh. and then he just decides, fuck it. I'm going to cut open the box. So he gets out his trusty knife, cuts open the box, looks in the box. He's like, <laughs> Very shocked. We don't... John Doe has the upper hand. That's right. He says John Doe has the upper hand. Um, we don't know what's in the box, but we know it's terrible. And then he, like, starts running because he he knows that Mills is going to lose it when he knows what's in the box. So he starts, like, running towards Detective Mills. And he's like, put the gun down, put the gun down. And Detective Mills has the gun trained on John Doe at this point. And John Doe is looking really smug. And he's like, I've always envied you detective mills because of your perfect life and blah 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 blah. and then he started talking about his wife and then he's like she begged for her life you know and the life of her unborn child and then he's like what the fuck and detective mills is losing it and he looks at somerset and somerset without having to speak words kind of confirms the fact that it is in fact gwyneth paltrow aka the wife's head in the box he absolutely loses it and he's like no no obviously distraught and then Kevin Spacey slash John Doe is goading him a lot and eventually it comes out that he wants, he's admitting that his sin or he's realised that his sin is envy because he's been really envious of um, Detective Mills's life with this beautiful wife and house and whatever and he wants Detective Mills's sin to be wath. Or wrath. Which they also... would pronounce it. Do they? I say wrath. No, they they say wrath, I'd say wrath and it annoys me. Oh, okay. Yeah, anyway. Oh, I say wrath. The wrath of God, the wrath of God. Anyway, (laughs) whatever it means, they had to explain it in the film because remember he goes, he also says like, he says like vengeance or wrath, right? Whatever you want to call it. Take your vengeance, let your Um, wrath. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they really had to explain that yeah. because the probably the general public don't really know much about the seven deadly sins except for a few of them. Mm. Um, and then, you know, poor old Braddy, Brad Pitt, he does it. He shoots John Doe. And then depending on your ending, you know, rewind if you missed our conversation about the ending yeah. right at the start, this is where things diverge. So in the first ending that I ever saw, this is where it cuts to blank. He shoots Kevin Spacey and then it just cuts to black and that's the end of the film. But then you have alternate endings as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's it. That's it. End that scene. It. That's it. Then, yeah. um, you know, some spooky backwards credits. Yes. Mm. Well, the the credits and the title sequence we will have to talk about. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, truly uh, amazing. They are very well done. Yeah. <sighs> so, so, what seven. did you think about it this time round? Oh, I thought it was. Really and did you have expectations? Yeah. Like, I what, of, what were your expectations going in? I was going in thinking I'm not going to like the Brad Pitt performance. Yeah. Um, but going in, remembering it's more of a procedural sort of drama thriller rather than you know a horror. Also was. Um, it did mean when there was one jumpy bit, I leapt off the couch. Um, the bit yep. when you find out that Sloth is alive. Yes. Yeah. Should we just describe this scene briefly? Very briefly, because it's not not very nice. <laughs> it is full on, and it's um yeah trigger warning if you are squeamish, uh, squeamish, or yeah, just like you don't like descriptions of I don't know horrible things happening mm. to people. So. John Doe, for one of his victims, had essentially tied him up and starved him for a year. Mm. Um, and just he'd have been on this bed for a year tied up. And that was him being slothful and lazy. Yeah. And then when they find him, he is essentially, they think he's dead. He's like totally emancipated. He's skin and bones. And yeah. he's lying there with his mouth open. Um, and one of the kind of tactical, what do you call those? The um, SWAT guys. Yeah, the SWAT guys, Dr. Cox which is from- actually played by Dr. <laughs> Cox. Yeah. I was like, is that Dr. Cox? Yeah, I saw um, his name in the credits and was like, what? Yeah. There's, know, there's a so few funny. people that sort of pop up in this. We can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like bending right over to try and, and I think he says something like, you, deserve you fucker this, deserved you it or something. Yeah. yeah, because the guy is a criminal. Yeah, pedophile um, and drug dealer, like, you know. Oh, is he? Yeah, okay. not a nice guy. No, okay, yeah. Um... So, and then, so he's like leaning right close to his face and then this guy like jumps up and starts coughing, or not jumps up, but he Coughs. leans forward and starts coughing and like throws himself forward and yeah, it's mm. pretty, pretty horrific. But yeah, so did get shocked by that. But overall, like looking at the film now, um, it's an expertly crafted film would be what I came mm. out of it. Like you can see Finch's talent, you can see the cinematography and the production design are absolutely yeah. amazing. Uh, like... I don't think it's sometimes like I guess back in the cinema bros circles it's sort of lauded as like this highly intelligent script and I don't know if it's mm. the most intelligent thing going around. No. You know, a psychopath so. obsessed with the seven deadly sins, it's sort of you know, to an extent it's fairly basic. It's not it's <laughs> um, well it is, and it's yeah. not even like it's not new. It's like I think I feel like it's like a well known, you know, trope almost that Yeah. And people with in psychosis or people who are who are mentally deranged in some way, shape or form have delusions about religion because it's, it's a real trigger. It's a real mm. focus point for some reason. And, um, you know, the detective who's one week away from retirement and, you know, yes, there's, there's a lot of it that, you know, I think if it was in less capable hands, this would have been forgettable or yeah. bad. It could have been either way. So yeah. I really think even more so than some of Finch's sort of later stuff, I think this really showcases his, ability to make gold mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah i was impressed and brad pitt i gave such a hard time to maybe i didn't mm. sort of get what the film was going for in when i watched it the first time but like yeah i think brad pitt does a really good job of being a hothead like yeah I think he plays it he's really, really annoying well. yeah and that's pretty pretty accurate for someone like that for that's me. it and i think i just got annoyed with yeah. him and didn't sort of realize the point behind it the first time i watched it like yeah. watching it this time yeah. i'm like oh yeah you're supposed to be like you know you're... yes 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. yeah i wanted i wanted the action yeah. hero probably um, yeah right which this okay. movie just isn't about it's not no it's very um i think some of the things i read talked about it as being nihilistic and it kind of is in Ooh. you know it's not it's so depressing it just ends on such a de- 
excuse me, is such a depressing note. And, you know, Kevin Spacey wins, essentially, mm. gets what he wants. And yeah, and he talks about going down in history and they're going to remember me forever and they're going to remember you as well forever. And I think in that situation, if that situation was true life, he'd be, you know, dead yeah. on. Of course, of course, people would be studying that for ages. Mm-hmm. So, look, very impressed watching it this time. What's your relationship with The Seven Deadly Sins? Without this film, would have you been able to name them? Hmm. That's a great question. I would probably not because i do get confused between the seven deadly sins and the ten commandments mm. you know a lot of lists. thou shalt not kill well yeah, yeah so many lists you know? yeah and killing's not one um, of the seven deadly sins i mean i guess no that's like how, where's the logic but lust is a sin i'm just not sure about that growing up um magnum which people in australia would know the ice cream is a delicious ice cream People overseas right, might not yes. know that. Okay. They had okay. released for a short while the seven deadly magnums. <gasps> That's surely sacrilegious. And they were fucking delicious. <laughs> oh, was there like a gluttony one? Gluttony was peanut butter. Peanut butter magnum. Oh, mm. that sounds so good. Um, what else actually. do I remember? I remember last was like, you know, your strawberry. Would have been like, yeah, raspberry yeah. or something. Something and red. Envy was mint, of course. Yes, because, of course. Green. Yep. Yeah. Classic. But, um, I yep. can't remember any of the others, but that's my, like, anytime I see this movie, I automatically think of Magnums because... Of oh, my God. That. I don't... Yeah. When I think the Seven Deadly Sins are mostly associated with this film. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Um, there's also a um, clip show episode of Third Rock from the Sun where they do clip shows themed after the Seven Deadly Sins. Oh. Yeah. What's a clip show? You know, like when a long-running sitcom does a... Can you remember that time when... And, you know, they'd show clips from old shows. Oh, they, like, do the flashbacks. Yep. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Yeah, I don't think... I think I saw this film in at uni, actually. And the first time I ever saw it was... I didn't actually watch the whole thing. I was just... We, I was doing a whole subject on title sequences. Can you imagine? What a life. That would be amazing. Um, yeah, I know. It's really interesting. <laughs> I just took it for granted. Yeah. I took it for granted, Paul. So we looked at this as a title sequence because it has been really well respected as an amazing title sequence. And I think won awards for it. Yeah. Did you read about the history of this title sequence? Just a tiny bit, but yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. So um, so the, the history that I read about it was that apparently the original title sequence that was planned sounded very boring. It was mm. going to be basically Morgan Freeman inspecting a country home and then driving back to the city. Mm, that's right. Yes. Um, yes, I remember that. Which, you know, how good is that that we didn't have to have mm. that? Instead, we had this mm, yes. um, amazing thing. And this sort of links in really well. There was a special feature on the title sequence, um, which I didn't watch. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'll quickly show you um, the list of special features. But there's a huge yes, list there. It's one of those full second discs. And wow. four separate yep. audio commentaries. Oh, my God. But, yeah, one of the features I didn't watch was on the title sequence, but one of the ones I did watch was on the creation of the notebooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason that they changed to the different title sequence, apart from, I think, also just needing something for a test screening, was that so much work had been put into these notebooks. Mm. Which he had, we should, you know, conf- just... Um, give a bit of the background when they walk in or when they bust into his house, his apartment, they find a whole room filled, you know, floor to ceiling with these notebooks with just absolute nonsensical, biblical stream of consciousness writings. But then all yeah. these like photos of like different grotesque things put through it, as well as all like these handwritten things and diagrams mm-hmm. and um. And the two people responsible about who are part of the art department, like they were all created from scratch, like hand, hand, yeah. hand sewn together notebooks, everything yeah. written out, all that stuff made up. They did all this research and got all these really gross pictures developed. A lot of those were like actual medical pictures too. Oh and stuff. no, really? Mm. And um, they shouldn't do. They can't do that in movies. Yeah, and a lot of there was a lot of really disturbing content in there. Like they went through old prison records and got actual descriptions of crimes and um, oh my god! Like yeah. they actually filled them in and yeah, yeah. Which is I read that wild but, because you see them for half a second in the film. 
That's right. Yeah. But then they were used. And for, I think the original. Yeah. Well, I think the original title sequence that was proposed as well featured the books much more heavily. So okay. yeah. he really wanted to focus on the books. And then they did a second round where they came up with what they've got now, which is partly the books and, you know, the images and everything, but partly also um, John Doe, you know, cutting off his fingertips because mm. that was one of the things he did to get rid of his Identity. fingerprints. Yeah. 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 But also so they wove them together a bit. What I loved about that opening sequence was that all the titles, they weren't um, a font. They were all black screens skit like and then scratched so it was all yeah that what what amazing craftsmanship again just to go yeah into something like that yeah and to get the yeah just the authenticity behind it i suppose like that real they wanted to make it it look as good as it could and then the music is just so you know all this discordant notes and i think it's a nine inch nails a remix of a nine inch nails yeah yeah Mm. just like fucking creepy yeah, but really sets the tone in a... It does um, set the tone. Yeah. So in my year 11, actually it might have even been year 10 media class when I first started teaching media, one of the tasks, I think it was year 10 actually, one of the tasks or one of the units that I wrote was about title sequences and I showed this title sequence as an example a few times, mm. obviously realising it was R and just like told the kids not to watch it and hopefully they didn't Yeah. until later. But it is just such a good example of how, how a title sequence can really frame what you're expecting mm. um, of the film. And then I got some beautiful title sequences out of the kids as well. Oh, brilliant. I mean, I didn't I didn't do much. They just yeah. did the work. Very interesting title sequence. One where you get to see almost the full cast of the film, which, as we said, included Dr. Cox from Scrubs as the angry SWAT guy, but also had mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Toby from The West Wing or Richard Schiff played... Um, John Wait, Doe's, really? Yeah, John Doe's lawyer at the end. Oh, my God. I did not pick up on that. Yeah. And he plays it really well, like a lawyer that's being paid by a yeah. <laughs> Slimy. Yeah. So slimy. <laughs> How did I not pick up on that? Oh, my God. That's so funny. Um, but I love, it. Um, I love it when you watch an, an older film and um, see famous people. You're like, wow. Mm. Um, they started small. Speaking of age, I had... If you'd asked me before doing this movie what year did Seven come out, I would have said early thousands in a heartbeat. Because this is the yeah. the edition I've got here is the fifteenth anniversary edition. You know, I would have bought this. Well, obviously. Well, it, it doesn't like in it. I feel like the yeah, thanks. <laughs> I feel like the themes or the the content doesn't age in this film. No. Um, like it's shocking now. It would have been really shocking then. Yeah. Yeah. And the creepiness it's just of, that, yeah. of it is all added to because I guess of, yeah, the disgust Kevin Spacey. Yes. I, I felt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, felt I always felt that. like he was, his, um, I just always felt that he was so creepy in this film. To be honest with you, the two films, the two films that I associate him mostly with. Oh no. Then I did. He was in like some random film that I watched when I was a kid and I didn't really like him in that. But um, the two films that I associate him most with, or maybe you're going to. Yeah, no, it's this film and... American Beauty? American Beauty. Yeah. And he's a creep in both of them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. This comes naturally. Yep. <laughs> but he's dead eyes. Like, you know, those mm. dead eyes, that's that's something. A very believable performance. I think all the performances... It really reminded me... Uh, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, no, you go. I was just going to say, I think all the... If you think of, you know, the four main major people in it, really, you've got Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman... Um, Kevin Spacey and Gwyneth Paltrow. I think all of them do mm. an excellent job. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. There's no no point where I felt like, oh, they're acting or mm. this seems out of character or this seems wrong. Well, while, since you mentioned Gwyneth Paltrow, let's talk about women in this film. Yeah, well, we did. We talked about Gwyneth Paltrow, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I just was so frustrated that she's the one, again, having it's just the woman playing that secondary role of mm-hmm. bringing the two men together and in like embracing the emotional side of the man, which is exactly what we talked about in, um, I think it was in Spider-Man, actually, Yeah. when the wife of Octopus Guy yeah. is the only one who asks Tobey Maguire's character about, do He's, you have a girlfriend yeah, or whatever? Yeah. It was literally like like word for word. The exact same thing happened in this film. Yeah. Oh, do you have... Like, how come How come you're alone, William? You know, like all this stuff that was just like, fuck, 
women are more than that, you know? Mm. And again, and then she did have her moment about talking about her pregnancy, but it was about five minutes. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's again, this film speaks to the cinema bro because of that sort of ultra masculinity and complete yeah. rejection of the feminine, except for a very boxed role. Tokenistic. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Know, this is, you yes, know, a woman's totally. job is to be the carrier of the baby. Um, I yes, mean, and and the emotional yeah. and the emotional labor. Yeah, like, and the emotionally intelligent one. Men can't be emotionally intelligent. It's the woman's job. That, yeah, that's and you know I think that that is a definite criticism of this film. And I think there are other valid yeah. criticisms, but that's the one that I think gets the the cinema bro to arc up the most. Right. Yeah, because yeah, it doesn't, and and it goes back to that. I think that the script is not amazing. The script is yeah basic. Hollywood regurgitation and yeah. the history of Hollywood is underrepresentation of female characters and poorly yeah. developed female characters at that. Yeah. Because there's just some bits that I was just like, I was like, this just makes no logical sense. So like, for example, she invites him over to dinner out of the blue. She invites Somerset over to dinner out of the blue, which personally I would feel very strange doing, but you know, she's forging ahead because she's the one who makes the social connections because men are socially inept Mm. and women have to do all of that stuff. And then she invites them over for dinner. They have a great old time. Then the boys move into the lounge room to start looking at their doing work case notes together and sinking beers. And she just, and she just falls asleep on the bed in her like fully clothed. It doesn't even show her falling asleep. She literally just disappears from the movie. And then maybe 10 minutes later when the boys have like gone out to go check something out at the crime scene, she wakes up and wonders where they are. But she's, she's been asleep that whole time on the bed, fully clothed. Who does that after a dinner party? Turn off. Yeah, I'll turn off. Exactly. (laughs) It's like that ball. It's like that. It's actually like that. And then she wakes up at like one o'clock in the morning and goes, time to worry, time to worry. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, fucked. Yeah. Anyway. But other than that, you know, representation of women across the board, we've only got Gwyneth Paltrow. There's not really any other yeah. women, women in there except for victims. Yeah. No women of color at all but even um even the the female victims stories are brushed over like lust it becomes more about the man that had to kill her that's true yeah and then pride pride i felt the same way i guess when i first watched it as i did this time it felt very much like a oh shit we've got one more to do um Mm, yeah it it's a very rushed so pride what happens is um, we don't get actually any real backstory, but you assume she's some sort mm-hmm. of model and mm-hmm. um, John Doe cuts up her face. Well, actually, I think he he cuts her face a bit and gives her the option to call police and be forever disfigured or to take her own life. Suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she chooses suicide. Yeah. Which, again, is, I don't know, like, why couldn't the man have been pride? Yeah. There's and- a whole, the whole thing is, like, filled with patriarchal nonsense. Mm. Like, do a woman for sloth or gluttony. You know, why do all these, the default again is the man. And we Um, get, oh, and we get so much sort of backstory into, especially the greed, the lawyer that we hear about, and, you know, he does this and this and this, and, you know, he does this. Whereas, yeah, Pride's very much like, she's a pretty woman. Yes, that's right. (laughs) What more do you want to know? (laughs) Obviously full of sin. Yes, yes. And then with Lust, we just know that she was a sex worker and that's it. Yeah. And, yeah. It's just very disrespectful. Mm. Um, yeah. Quite a few other characters of colour, though, which was nice to see. Yeah. Um, just in supporting roles across the board. Um, yeah. Which was good. All men, obviously. Mm. But, yeah. And I think... If more films did that now, with you know, like had that mix, that would be... Nice. Like, I can't believe they did that in 95 and it hasn't been continued. Definitely. But, I mean, I think as far as women's representation, and I don't think it's completely his fault, but it is something that his fan base, I guess, have dirtied him with. But uh, Finch's representation of women in his films, you know, something that's... Mm, Come under criticism. Yeah. And again, Mm -hmm. I I just think it's because you've got the cinema bro culture around this and around Fight Club that, um, that draws that in. Just because... Yeah. People offer valid criticism and it's the arc up of the how dare you criticize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, Paul, we're part of a 
couple of people who are doing a deep dive into our own white supremacist beliefs and trying to challenge those beliefs by doing the um, working through the workbook called Me and White Supremacy, um, which highly recommend to anyone who would like to tackle their own internal bias. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Unconscious bias, I should say that's been fed to you through society and you know we talk we've talked a lot about white white fragility which is where white people arc up to try and defend themselves and instead of actually looking at the problem and this sounds like some kind of movie bro fragility yeah. as well like oh, the, the the inability to take criticism and to look at yourself critically which is just such a downfall for anyone like i mean we'll get to fight club club eventually um because i've got it on dvd uh, mm. Because I am a cinema bro. Um, <laughs> you were, Paul, former. <laughs> yes. Reformed cinema bro. But I think when you actually look at that movie, that's, you know, doing a lot to ask questions around the masculinity that is just sort of trotted out in this film. Like this film, it's not asking yep. questions about it. It's just, just assuming that's the norm and not, uh, not wanting yep. you to ask any questions. Just being like, yep. men are men. And sometimes men's problem is that they get too much of the anger. Because men should be angry. Mm. That's the emotion they're allowed, but not too much. Not too much. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've got to be able to control their anger. Yeah. Um, and that's emotional intelligence for a man. Because anger is a man's problem, mm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. Could basically be this one. Anyway. Mm. Men, mm. right? Yeah. Fuck, man. <laughs> so, what else about Seven? Does it deserve its R rating? Yes. Oh, gosh. This oh, okay. is very distressing. <laughs> Um, it is. The most distressing is the the last one yeah. with the the knife as a dildo mm. or a harness strap on dildo thing. That gives it its R rating, I think, surely. Yeah, and look, and the Australian rating board is pretty clear that sexual violence is yeah yeah that's an R and um yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally. Uh, yeah, I feel like yeah, not me. Yeah, you shouldn't be watching this film until you're past 18. No, very much so. Deserves the R rating. Which I think was part of my problem growing up with with that whole horror film thing is when I eventually did get into horror films, I'd go, oh, the scariest horrors must be the R. But most of the time, a good jump out horror film is going to cap off at an MA. You might get a bit of gore. Mm. But um, R's mm-hmm. are really saved for something a bit more sinister. Uh, mm-hmm. And what do you find more scary? I think I, I obviously find the more sinister stuff more scary. But, you know, when you want sometimes to watch a horror, horror movie, you actually just want that something jumps out and it's not something yes. that's less lasting. You know, this film... You don't have to think about it afterwards. Yeah. yeah. This film I watched on Tuesday and there's still sort of some images that pop up. There you go. Ooh. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is why I've always said the Antichrist is my most most feared movie because I could not stop thinking about that afterwards and I don't think there's that much that's so super gruesome in that film no again sexual violence yes so well we'll talk about it when we talk about it yeah yeah but yeah um man we got some some great films to come along should we just do like a year of horror next year (laughs) yeah should have if we'd known what this year was going to be Beck. this would have been our year of horror year of horror but instead we had a year of hanks that's true (laughs) Well, I think when we were really in in the shit, we wanted something positive. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. You got to have a balance. This film also reminded me of Chinatown. Oh yeah. I because you. of just because of it's like so dark and the ending is so depressing, you know? Like yeah. the ending of Chinatown is just like, you know, and the world is a terrible place and everything's fucked. And this ending very much reminded me of that. You're right. I think that's very legitimate. Yeah. I can't say who directed Chinatown, do you know? No. That's bad, isn't it? Me neither. But it's a it's a I suppose it's a Jack noir Nicholson. Jack Nicholson noir film yeah. from like I don't know, the sixties? Seventies. Directed by Roman Polanski. That guy. Oh yes, of course it was. Speaking of course of it creeps, was Roman Polanski. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. Because I remember he actually appears in it as well. Um, at one point. Gross. Yeah. Yes, gross, but that movie also captured me in terms of, like, how creepy and dark it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's, it's the just same. So, it's so disappointing. You can think about, I guess, also Rosemary's Baby would be another one in his canon yep. that has that same sort of outgoing message of, well, we're all fucked. Yes. 
Maybe that's because he he was fucked. Mm. Mm. Yeah, anyway, we'll save that for Belansky films in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any? I've got Rosemary's Baby, and I think I've got... Okay. Nah, I have to look. I had Chinatown at some point, so I'd like to do that. And there's another film, oh, Badlands, I'd really like to do yeah, at some yeah, point, yeah. which I used to have on DVD, and I can't find that either. So... Um, yes. We'll track them down. We will. Um, what else do we have to yeah. say on seven? Well, I think I am done, to be honest. But I'll definitely watch this film again. I think all I really wanted to talk about a little bit was, I guess, David Fincher a little bit more. Mm, yeah. So I, when you sort of see this one now, I haven't seen Zodiac. Oh, I have. Yeah. But I have uh, know about it. And the vibe mm. I kind of get is that this almost kind of works as a prototype for Zodiac a bit. Mm, very much so. Um, and the interesting thing is Zodiac was actually his first film shooting on digital. Oh, okay. And it's sort of like a thing, like there's some great interviews with Mark Ruffalo and um, mm-hmm. some of the guys from The Social Network talking about David Fincher is a master of his craft, but he is the master. So what he's notorious for is doing about... 80 takes and digital really opened him up to being able to do that because he he wants sort of every option on the table and oh god that's a nightmare and the actors yeah talk about they sort of feel like their agency's removed because (laughs) they don't really get a choice of and he's kind of open how they want to approach it yeah he's kind of open about it too he's sort of like yeah that's sort of my thing like i've got a vision it's got to be this way yeah or when i sculpt my vision i want to have all the, you know, every single piece to play with. But yeah, Mark um, Ruffalo lost it. And then does Zodiac. he... S- um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I think it was one scene where, like, they'd shot it 20, 30 times and Dave Fincher just deleted it all because he's like, oh, digital, delete, 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 delete. <gasps> That's not, you know. That is not seeing the actors as human at all. Yeah. It's, um, it's wild that he's obviously got such a talent and he must, you know, be personable and enough that people do want to work with him. I do get flashes. Yeah. Of, have you seen behind-the-scenes footage of George Lucas directing? No. It's very much like walk three steps left, four steps right, say line. You know, like it's it's he isn't working. You know, he doesn't clearly doesn't see actors as doing. So they want they can't wait for the world in which actors are replaced by. Yeah. But then also like I CGI. Think David Fincher like needs the reality of the performance, but he just wants to be the one who picks which so he then sits in the editing suite scrolling through all this shit yeah god what a nightmare um yeah so uh this was back in the days when a he was still sort of very green and people probably weren't going to put up with that shit and b you're filming on film so the studio is not going to put up with that shit Mm. um, yeah totally wild and even listening to him i listened to his commentary on the one of the endings and he's just so into yep. the, the craftsmanship of it, you know? Of filmmaking. Yeah, he really didn't care too much about the story, even though the commentary was over the ending to sort of, I guess, explain why they went with the... He sort of adds it in as the last thing, and he was sort of like, we kind of thought it would be better with the uh, Mills shooting. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right. But all of it was about <laughs> looking at these storyboards, and he's just like, yeah, that's the thing with storyboards. You can see in this shot where you've got the electricity tower slightly more in the background, but... We can't do that because we've got to see something lens, blah, blah, blah. And it goes really into like oh, wow. detailed tech stuff that I'm like, hmm. You know? Wow. And he was yep, sort of cursing. Okay. He's like, I really wanted to see just that amount of electricity tower over the top of the actor's head at this, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. Really, really loves the technicality of it. And, it. and it shows like he was obviously still developing his craft. But I just remember watching Gone Girl and just being mesmerized by how beautiful that film is yeah yeah anyway that was a little rant on david fincher david fincher has he what's his most recent film so he's just had one come out on netflix called mank which has sort of been his big passion project it's about the um guy who wrote citizen kane Uh oh okay um apparently it's really good it's a bit like every year netflix seems to have one of these movies where they say hey you auteur director we're going to let you do whatever you want. Like Roma, I think, was mm, an example. Mm-hmm. Irishman yeah. was the extreme example where Scorsese yeah. could make a seven-year-long film that yeah. cost $400 billion. Um, 
Yeah. And I think this is David Finch's turn. He His dad wrote it uh, and then passed away. And, you know, oh, wow. sort of a, he's really been pushing to get this done to his exact specifications. Yeah. Um, so people say you can feel that a bit. Then <laughs> there's right. no one saying let's commercialize this a bit or... Yep. You know, snappy, snappy. Mm, interesting. But I, I do look forward to watching it. Because before then, he hadn't done anything since, yeah, since Gone Girl. Which has been quite a few years since that. Mm. I mean, I guess he was working on House of Cards. Oh, was he? Yeah. Because he directed the pilot in a few episodes of that. What's become of Kevin Spacey? Let's be frank. He had those two videos that he shot, like, at his home, sort of. Did he? Yeah. He released- they were like, I'm a terrible person, I'm sorry. Not quite. Uh, uh, ah. He was sort of in character as his House of Cards character and sort right. of kind of protesting against cancel culture in a not not a becoming sort of fashion. Oh, God damn it. I hate it when I have to dislike people who are good actors. Yeah. And I, yeah. Because then he did another one that was sort of the same thing, but happy holidays. Fuck you. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Well. Yeah. Oh, we won't hear from him for a little while, I think. Yeah. I, I did just want to mention um, that this film also spawned a series of comic books. Oh, yes. Yeah. I have that up as well to talk about. That sort of showed... Um, creepy, though, right? Yeah. The John Doe side. Like, yeah. And, Why do we need that? And um, this DVD came with issue one. Oh, it came with one. Um, yes. I looked them up and had a look at the covers and read a bit about them, and they all seem like they're written by men, of course. Yeah. They might not have been. Please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, anyone listening. But I just thought, we don't. why do I need to see more into his brain? I think it's enough from the film, and I don't need to see any more detail into his insanity. Yeah, and it's a common insanity. problem that you get with horror movies is that they always try and do, you know, about six or seven sequels in the backstory of the serial killer, you know, like... Yeah. Why did... Yeah, Mike Myers in Halloween kill people. Like we we know we know what happens because you're insane. Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre's childhood. Yeah, no, I don't care. That's it. No one does care, and I think that's the that would be the problem yeah. here. Um, the the comic book itself yeah. was um, yeah, it was it was fine. It was the first one in the series, so it didn't really it was establishing a lot of stuff. Um, Can you show me some of the bits? Yeah, the sure. Pages. I mean, it does also include some of that work that they did on those books, um, but. Oh, okay. Now that I've found out about some of those books weren't all fabricated, it kind of made me feel mm. more stressed. But look, there's a yeah, a spread. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other annoying thing is it sort of gave a backstory to each of the the victims, but not a... Like this one, it gives to the gluttony guy, and it's sort of like his parents died when he was young, and now... And it's sort of his inner monologue about himself comforting himself with food. And it's a bit... Mm. It, it's not clever or anything it seems a bit yeah yeah not really well thought out yeah yeah i'm not gonna rush out and buy mm. the comic no book. well when i looked on this website they were all out of stock anyway paul so oh yeah you're out of luck sorry about that uh, i think i'll be fine yeah <laughs> all right is it time for you to decide yeah it is which way do you think i'm going oh uh, i think you're gonna keep it <laughs> Oh, no, maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're going to keep it. Oh, I don't know now. Because how many are you going to keep again? Uh, I can't remember. 40. So you think, you, you think I'm going to keep it? Well, I did. But if you're, if you're only keeping 40 DVDs, maybe you're going to give it away. If you're keeping more than 40, I think you're going to keep it. I think I'm... I th- wait, wait, can I retract? Yep. Oh, yes, okay, got it. Oh, no, no, no. I think I am only keeping 40, so I'm not going to keep this one. Oh, that no. That was the, the okay. double, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I'm glad I did... Re- You're not going to keep it. Yeah, I'm glad I did revisit it because, as I said, I sort of had that yeah. bad taste in my mouth about it um, from when I watched yes. it 10 years ago. And I'm glad I watched it and gave it yeah. a bit more time of day. Uh, but I'm. Yeah. when am I going to pull this off the shelf? When am I like, you know what, I want to... When you that. want a really creepy movie to watch? I don't know. Yeah. I just don't think maybe this is my go-to creep. Mm, fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to go to my local secondhand store and they'll put it in the cabinet of our movies. Yeah. Do they have a special cabinet for our movies? Oh, I'm going to go straight there next time. (laughs) And raid the cabinet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you know, I'm only interested in R rated movies. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's good. Um, 
all right. Well, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Hopefully someone will treasure it forever. Well, I honestly think everyone should give it a watch. And if you're into, I guess, yeah. um, the, the technical nature of film, the audio commentary with David Fincher, there's an audio commentary with the production design team, an audio commentary with the mm. cinematographer. Um, mm. It would be well worth a listen because I think you'd, you'd get your buck's worth listening to them mm. um, talk about it yep. in extreme detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's not something that I think I'd probably sit down and listen to. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I don't think you'd be cracking too many jokes. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it, is it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. Another fortnight over. We will be back soon with another episode of DVD Clutter, another DVD to try and get rid of or not, depending on how we feel. But until then, have a safe few weeks. Um, Keep, you know, keeping those COVID numbers low and look forward to the summer break. Yes. Great. See you. Okay, thanks, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Yeah. It's good we got this down now. We've got this organised, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, that's it. Pandemic was yeah. actually great. Pandemic. Thank you. It Thank you, Pandemic. fantastic. Oh, dear. Um, um, I, all right. I kick it off, don't I? You do. Yeah.